Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the tree. Stop and hear what I say. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning. It's Rosie on the house. Second Saturday of the month. We are talking trees. If you'd like to talk trees and join the conversation, a couple ways you can do so. one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Text questions can be sent to 411-923. Or you can email info at rosieonthehouse.com. You better keep those sprinklers going. I hear there's not going to be much of a monsoon this season. Yeah. <laughs> We've it got should non-soon. Non-soon. For a second year in a row, we've got ISA certified arborist, John Eisenhower of Save a Tree in Studio, and you have brought an army. <laughs> I've brought if... a few guests in. <laughs> well, of course, my sidekick, Stephen, is with us this morning, Stephen Price with Save a Tree, and Ann uh, Young is a, a, a guest with us this morning. She also is an ISA certified arborist and a well-known uh, a person in our in the horticulture industry across Phoenix for the last number of decades, and she is now a new member of our team at Save a Tree. But also, we have in studio with us uh, the famed Richard Adkins, formerly with the city of Phoenix, now with the city of Tempe, another an urban forester. And man, we got a a team here today, the Dream Team. It's Hopefully, good. you love trees and you want to join us. Come on in. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We are the truly unstumpable team today. Well, let's see. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No one can stump this tree gang right here. But I have to say, in 32 years of broadcasting, this is the scariest broadcast I've ever had. What? Is that right? Yeah. How's that? Anne was in my sophomore high school geology class, geometry class. Uh Uh-oh. We have deliberately never invited anyone from my high school to come on air, <laughs> except John Harper. John and I went to school together for four years, but I have as many stories on him as he has on me. So we have like, we have Cancel like, it out. we have this detente. <laughs> <laughs> but I want you to keep a close finger on Ann's button, Gary. If she goes off on Rosie High School stories, Boom. Killer. <laughs> I put my track shoes on to run in okay. there and shutter my All right. Place. Here we go. Let's talk trees. Starting with the tree of the month. Well, the tree of the month is is a favorite of everybody's. You know, sometimes there are some uh, some of our trees that we bring along that legitimately could have some detractors. This one, I'm not sure that there's too many people who have a bad word to say about the Cordia boissieri. It is a Texas olive tree. And I'm going to leave it right there because there's a couple of people, both Richard and Ann, love this tree and might have a few comments. Um, well, yes, John, I think this is a great tree. It's very underutilized here in our landscapes because it works with both a mesic and a xeric landscape here in our valley. So if you well sight this tree, it's actually a small shrub that you can prune into a tree. But if you well sight it, um, it can bring you just beautiful color wonderful flowers, and great shade to your landscape. It's, it's not too big either. This was kind of mm-hmm. nice about it. I love that. Yeah, you can get it. I've seen them up to 20, 25 foot. There's actually one that I know in Mesa that I can actually climb and do a little pruning on. But the way the branches kind of droop and hang down, it gives you a very nice canopy. And what do you say about the cordia? Do I have? 
<laughs> I think it's a beautiful tree. It's got the showy flowers and the it's pubescence on the leaves makes it just kind of shimmer back to you and everything. It's a nice big leaf, evergreen tree. Uh, I call it a a tall shrub, but it can be pruned and it's just gorgeous. So when you say big leaf, and I picture olive, you know, which is more mesquite style where you've got thousands of tiny little leaves as opposed to like mulberry big leaf. How big is this Texas olive, Texas olive leaf? Three to five inches. Kind mm-hmm. of a nice big thick, and it's a very thick leaf, has little hairs on it, kind of a, a velvety type texture. Yeah, it's uh, it's unique. It's got yeah, a little rough the little roughness to the leaves. It's really um, a great desert tree, actually, really well desert adapted because it's it's uh, bulletproof, doesn't have a lot of natural pests and and problems, and um, and again evergreen, and it's uh, just a really nice accent tree. I kind of was thinking this morning, why don't we see more of these in the landscape? You know, you said it's underutilized, Richard, but. I, I wonder why it is that there are trees like that that are so have so many nice characteristics, why you don't see them more often, you know? Well, one of the things is that they are very, very, very messy. You know, uh, that's the one thing. That's the, that's the other side of the coin to this tree. Like we talked about the desert willow last time, I believe, correct? And we talked about that as deciduous. And it's also got amazing flowering, you know, throughout the spring, right. summer, fall. Just a beautiful tree. It looks dead and ugly right in the winter well this one it looks really beautiful all year but it gets that really showy bloom and the and the fruit and so there was a big push for this a few years ago and you started seeing it planting all over the place even in some hoas as replacements Mm. uh, for a lot of the trees that were dying and having issues and they've done very well but then they started saying wow you know now you know you trade one thing for another you know so like richard was saying in the right place they're amazing, and they're also cold hardy. You know, to a what about twenty five degrees? Eight, no, down to about eighteen. Yeah, eighteen degrees. Lower. So, so yeah. unless we get a really, really hard freeze, uh, you know, it's a pr- pretty nice tree. And again, you get that really nice bloom early in the year, and often late in the year after the monsoon rains. And um, what so color bloom? Usually white. Yeah, about two inch. Yeah, two yeah, inch very diameter. Creamy white has a little yellow throat in the center, and like I say, if you get irrigation to it all year round in your landscape, it'll pretty much flower all year for you. Well, uh, I'm on the Audubon Society site, and it says it's great for hummingbirds and butterflies. Yeah, it <laughs> is. Absolutely. Yes, it is. They it's love those great flowers. bird life. Yeah. Um, not so tasty for us, <laughs> but um, for it's wildlife, a, excellent. It's a medicine in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not, a, it's not a true olive. It's just it looks the, the fruit that, that, that appears after the bloom drops is, is olive-shaped and, and has the appearance of an olive, but it's not a true olive. And the color is somewhat yes, of an yeah, olive green, kind of olive right, green, right. very similar yeah, fruit. Yeah. Yep. So, so if I'm looking at my local nursery, do I have to know the botanical name or just, te- te- just Texas, Texas olive. olive? That'll get you there. And one of the other reasons I think they may be less popular than others is because they are a little slow growing. They are slow growing. Yeah. Yes. So you're gonna. It's gonna be a while before you get a, a ten or twelve foot tall trees. Like Ann was saying, it's more of a, a large shrub. Um, but they're a great screening plant, and as because they're evergreen, you'll have that nice privacy screen. Plant a couple of those side by side, and you'll get a nice little screen if you're looking for some uh, to, to uh, blocks a view or just fill in a space. They're really good for that purpose. And um, a lot of people think they look, if you look at them from a distance, they actually look like a white oleander. Yes. 
um, with the way the shape and the flowers yeah. are when you have them as a shrub. But they're also a good um, tree for under power lines or under utility lines. There you go. Just because, because they, they don't get high enough. They don't get high enough, but they still provide a nice screen, and they can provide some shade and, like you said, the wildlife benefit. Now, you said they're slow growing. It seems like the slow growing, especially in the desert, that usually makes them stronger and hardier and more drought tolerant. If they're if they're slow growing and the metabolism is is growing, so they can go those long periods like we have right now between rains, <laughs> and you're, you're not really seeing this kind of stress on them that you would see on a lot of other trees. Yeah, they're they're a native to north northern Mexico, southern Texas, and they're just yeah they're super drought tolerant. And uh, yeah, good for this this climate, and you know that that goes to uh, for uh, to be said for a lot of our desert trees. Yeah, if they're these smaller, more compact trees are not giving up as much um, uh, as much uh, uh, water to you know evaporation. No, these are they're good good little plants that you can uh, count on to be a, a good good uh, contribution to your landscape if you've got a, that little small space to fill. And they really do like full sun. So even though they have the bigger leaves like we're talking about, that you don't see a lot of desert or drought-tolerant type plants that have those large leaves, um, they really are fairly drought-tolerant and can take that. Even, like you said, we haven't had rain since, what, April. Um, some that I know, they're, they're starting to look a little on the peaked side, but they're still pretty much holding their own. Yeah, so again, just a little bit of a summary. What we've been talking about, people are probably wondering, okay, well, what size is it? The average size is probably around 15 feet, you know, if you let it grow. But again, slow to moderate growth, depending on the site conditions, likes good drainage. But if you kind of think about, like we were saying, it could be a small patio tree, or like Richard said, it could be trained to grow up much taller than that in the right conditions. And when you say 15 feet, you're talking in height. Correct. I'm sorry. And yeah. looking at pictures, it looks like the height and diameter of this tree is pretty about similar. About the same, yeah. yeah Correct. It's about yes. the same. Yes. Nice round canopy, yep. So one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you if you'd like to talk trees. I didn't mention this earlier. I apologize. There is a little auto attendant that comes on an answer and it's a recorded message. Just hit one when you hear that. It'll bypass the message, put you right in to the studio. The Texas Olive is our tree of the month. And uh, let's get our first tip out of the way before we hit our first break. What's our, what's on our talking trees to do this month? Well, you know, our our kind of focus today is just really what do you do during the dog days of summer? This is our our, our time when you've got these extended periods of, of drought. It is, it is essentially a monsoon right now. Our monsoon goes from Technically, from the 15th of June until the 30th of September, uh, uh, average is really for about six or eight weeks in the middle of the summer, July through August. And we just haven't seen any rain. And this is time to be kind of thinking about what, what do you do? We talked a little bit last month about the importance of deep watering. Make sure that you get a, a good deep soaking to the depth of your deepest roots. And then don't water again until the, you know uh, that soil profile is adequately dried out. You don't want to be putting water on top of water on top of water. But also, you know, we talked a little bit about mulch. I guess you spread a little bit of mulch the last few days, Romy, from what I, I gather. We did. It's a good, a good... Um, 60 tons of it. Wow, that's oh a lot my. of... That's, yeah, I, I, I saw the little picture of, of your son, Remy, driving that little skid steer. 
Um, yeah, after about the tenth. In violation girl. of child labor laws, I'll have you know. <laughs> hey, it was completely voluntary. I, I couldn't get him out of there. I wanted to drive, and he wouldn't let me. <laughs> But mulch is, a, is a, such a great contribution to our landscape in any form. You know, putting a, a, a layer of, of some uh, materials over the top of our root zone of our trees just helps to uh, insulate the soil from the, the, the heat of the sun. And also it, it keeps the moisture in. Once you put the moisture into the soil, it's kind of nice to have that, that mulch layer there that kind of helps to hold it there. Dan, you got to jump in. <laughs> jump into the heat because your mics are live. We're on the air. <laughs> Talking trees with a host of certified arborists. We actually have four in the studio today. We're talking all things related to trees. We covered our tree of the month and rolled into a conversation of mulching and surviving the summer heat. And I think we'll just kind of pick it up right there and continue on that conversation. Uh, Mulch is, is key. What are, what are the other things? I, I know we've said it before when, uh, with, with Jay Harper's. You know, once you get above 110, kind of all bets are off on everything. <laughs> and we had a lot of those in July, the hottest recorded July in Arizona. Yeah, 110 degrees for 11 days straight, you're saying, Richard? That's yeah, 11 days straight and 30 days over the last couple of months of 110 plus degrees. I mean, that just puts a stress on all of your plant material as well as us as well. Yeah, I walked into a, a, a customer's yard this, this past week and glanced across the yard at a, at a hedge of, of sour oranges that we installed um, about five years ago, and I, I took my breath away. Uh, they were completely wilted. So we quickly, you know, assessed that. But, yeah, it's, it's the whole yard is, you know, was, was looking really stressed. And I just think, as you said, what was okay when it was, you know, in the high 90s, uh, it, it, it just might not be able to endure that. That 110-degree weather day after day after day after day, it'll pound your, your plants. So, yeah, there's a... Yeah, this time of year is probably the hardest. I mean, like you said, the, the non-soon, but with the relative humidity still being relatively low and really no rainfall, um, right now is probably the hardest time for your plant material in your garden and in your property, and you really need to look at your irrigation and maybe be thinking about increasing it a little bit or making sure you have that good mulch layer like you were talking about. I haven't had condensate in two days. That's how dry it is. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Two points I want to make again on that. We t- kind of talk about it each each time we're on here this time of year. But just remember that if you have new plants or young plants, it's very important not to let them dry out really at all. Just, uh, you know, very little dry out between waterings as long as they're not flooded. And then the more mature trees, it's very important to make sure that, again, you're watering, uh, you know, late, late night, early in the morning. Um, so it's drying out throughout the day because, again, if that water is sitting around that root collar or around that root zone all night long, every night, and you're overwatering, you're going to see a lot of root disease this time of year as that builds up. So we talked about using soil probes, going out there and checking. Even if you have mulch, you may want to move it once in a while, making sure on a mature tree you're getting a little bit of dry out between waterings, and on young trees that you're making sure they don't dry out too much. And like we said, expect to see some wilting later in the day, no matter what. Just because there's a little wilt at the end of the day, it's just because it's so darn hot, it, it may not need extra water. You have to check that first before you put the water on. And 
concerning the the um, the depth of the mulch, be real careful too that you're not overdoing it. Um, a little more of a good thing is not always better, and mulch is a good example of that. You don't want to have five, six, eight inches of mulch over the root zone. That can actually cap the oxygen, and actually, you know, it can turn. It can be it be. Um, become really harmful to the tree. So just a couple inches of mulch. If, and the, the finer the texture of the mulch, the less you need. Um, in fact, a lot of the research in the last several years has indicated that the finished compost is really not your best mm-hmm. quality mulch. It's a, good, it's a good mulch because it's providing that insulation layer, but it's not providing a lot of nutrient cycling. Um, and the, the best thing to put down is actually green wood chips because that will really give you a little bit more bang for your buck. Because as that's decomposing over the, the year or so, this next year or so, um, it's actually contributing to the microbial activity in the soil, a little bit of nitrogen cycling as well. So um, if you have the, the option of putting just uh, uh, those bags of, of or, or the just the, the, the black, very dark brown mulch, or putting on green wood chips, uh, the green wood chips are really the better option. Green, green meaning uh, to the to the listeners meaning fresh, fresh chipped wood chips. Yeah, get your local no, arborist right or tree right. service to right. drop you off a load or half a load, and and uh, it'll really be really be helpful to go ahead and spread that around the base of your your trees and shrubs. And if you can handle it, if you can leave the leaf litter after the trees and things have have dropped their leaves, leave them there for a little while. It just helps with keeping the moisture down below. And I know that, you know, when we get a good wind, you'll have them in another spot, but that's okay. <laughs> um, you know, they, they do help out for a little bit, and some of the nutrients can go back into the soil. Yeah, this we always would say when we have leaves dropping, we want either very little wind or a lot of wind, because a lot of wind will put the leaves in your neighbor's yard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what about soaker hoses? Well, I was thinking, John, we're talking about just adding some extra irrigation. A lot of people are always concerned about mature trees. Where do we put that water? And you see a lot of hose right up against the trunk. And just like you were saying, Seven, that's really not where you want to put the water because that's not really where the tree needs it. They right. need it at the fine feeder roots. And you've got to be moving that, you have to be moving that hose every few minutes. Yeah, you too. have to move it around. So soaker hoses can really be your friends um, at this time of year when you have your mature trees because you can kind of put it around the shape of the crown of the tree and let it run for 18, 24 hours and yep. really get a good deep soak in. That's right. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie, for you, just hit number one when you hit the auto attendant to bypass the message. Put you right in the studio before ISA certified arborists. Come mulch together so the trees will grow. We mulch, that's why we mulch. Cause trees need mulch and everybody knows we mulch, that's why we mulch. Come mulch, come mulch with me. Cause trees need love and people need trees. Without the trees, where would we be? We mulch, that's why we mulch. Come dance together so the trees will grow. We dance, that's why we dance. Because trees need dancing. Everybody knows we dance, that's why we dance. I think they've been loving trees a little too much. (laughs) That's taking tree hugging to a new place, yep. (laughs) Well, let's talk tree benefits. You guys have pulled together a nice list from Trees Are Good. Richard, you made your own. I, I I, I don't think we have to sell anybody on the how great trees are, but there's a lot of when you know, these professional sites, there's, there's a lot more to it. Well, taking off on that, that whole idea of, of, uh, 
benefits of, of trees and the mulching and the, the, you know, the tree hugging aspect. You know, I, in, in many respects, I, I proudly wear that label as a tree hugger. I, 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 uh, um, I think, you know, each one of us in our own ways have, have, a, have had um, trees in their lives. And, and, and from, the, from the time I was a kid, my favorite color was always green. And I think it's so funny. And I didn't plan my career as a as a as a result of that. But um, green is a uh, trees are, are amazing, and they have so many different benefits. They've kind of been categorized over the years. The ISA, um, by the way, there's a really if you get a pencil and paper out right now, there's a great website called treesaregood.org, and it's a gr- really accessible website just talking about trees and their benefits. And and uh, uh, there's also on that website a a place for you to look up the certified arborist that's closest to your home, put in your zip code, and you can just find out uh, the, the uh, arborists that are closest to where you live. Um, but the, uh, the benefits of trees are, are unique to every individual. You know, we've all got our, uh, our reasons for loving them. And um, I just, uh, I love them because I love to climb them. I've been a climber since I was a kid. All my kids are climbers. I got two sons who own tree services and they love to climb. My daughter, when she was two years old, used to climb the doorpost in our kitchen. She would grab a hold of the casement, put her feet against it like a, like a, like a little monkey, and she would climb up and then hang on the lintel as a two-year-old. I'm going to think, I can't believe she's doing this. And I, I called my mom and I said, Mom, you would not believe what Emily just did. She just climbed up the door casement and is hanging from the lintel. And, and she said, well, I found you, John, when you were two years old on top of the refrigerator. I said, what? She said, yeah, you climbed up on a chair, got on the on the, the counter, got on the top of the bread box, then you climbed up on top of the refrigerator. I said, really? Uh-oh, I got a problem <laughs> here on my hands. But no, I just love, I love trees because I, we, I love to climb them. How about the rest of you? What's your, what's your reasons for loving trees? There's lots of motivations for hugging a tree. John, you mostly hug a tree just to keep from falling out. <laughs> See, I'll take uh, I, I was, true. If, if, if The higher I got, the more I'd hug. <laughs> I'll take the hugging just a step further, and I'm a, I'm a more of a forest bather. I mean, the whole thing about forest bathing is getting out in to and being with the trees because there is that societal is where's this – place of where you're communing with the plants and with the trees that really has a calming effect on your soul and in your mental energy. And there's lots of studies that have been done lately that just show the societal aspects of trees in a community and where it really Mm -hmm. is good for health, um, even newborns, and just growing um, education. If you can look out the window and be able, like we here at the studio, we can see greenery and trees it really brings a calmness over us as well as research you know, shows that even patients recover from surgery absolutely. more quickly if they can be looking out a window at trees and there's the whole thing with community um, a forest within your the urban forest within your just your neighborhood it actually brings out the community of you and your neighbors yes. and can yes. really help build the social aspects yeah, for me, it's uh, it's related to that as well. And just uh, growing up and, you know, starting in the landscape industry very young and taking care of, of grass, you know, and mowing people's yards. And that's kind of the smallest little plant tree, you know, little grass. You put them all together. <laughs> and then just as, as I grew, then my love for the larger and larger and larger, the more you learn 
it's just an amazing thing. And what what a big when I teach people about trees or talking about trees, I always start with, you know, just close your eyes for a minute and imagine a whole world without trees. Just try to imagine that for a minute. You know, the Sahara Desert, you know, no trees. I mean, how miserable a place would that be? And and trees are so powerful that it seems like everywhere you go in communities or cities or whatever, you see that they go in, they build homes, and they plant plants and trees that grow up. And just like Richard was saying and John was saying, it's because there's something special about them. Also, basically one of the oldest living organisms on Earth. Yeah. And we're going to get to a really old living organism here. You've got some... Bald cypress and Black River Preserve in North Carolina that are over 2,000 years old. Uh, Amber, are you going to say something real quick? I was just going to say that with me, it's just the flowers, the foliage, and the wildlife that comes in to, to trees and things like that. It's just, it is very relaxing and therapeutic, and and uh, I wouldn't be without them. I'm a third-generation Arizonan, and I just absolutely love the desert, and I like to go visit other places, but... We have some beautiful things here, beautiful trees. Yes, we do. And we'll talk about the Champion Tree Program in a minute as well, because that's a, that's one that's a, I really enjoy and, and the history behind it. But we've got John on the line who's got a Palo Braille that's struggling. So let's see if we can help him at one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. John, how can we help? Yeah, so I have a Palo Brea that we planted when we bought the house, and it's a really good size now, but um, one side of it is fully green, all the leaves on the ends and throughout the tree, and then the other part of it is struggling and only has leaves here and there. Well, how old is the tree? How long has it been in the ground? Um, the tree is probably 15 years. Okay. Yeah, we're all we're all looking at each other and and you know wishing it were we could say it was something else. But if it's been in the ground that long, there's plenty of time for uh, some insects uh, to have gotten into that uh, the root zone of that tree. We're thinking of the Palo Verde borer. There's a an insect that lays its eggs in the larva stage of that insect uh, chews on the roots of of Palaverdes primarily. That's their their main menu item, and unfortunately, they do a lot of damage underground to the roots. And then you see the corresponding dieback of the foliage above. It's just a matter of time before you start to see that occur. Uh, a telltale sign is you'll see little holes around the the base of the tree, about the size of a quarter. Those are the exit holes of the adults that emerge in June every year. And if you see those those holes um, around the base of the tree, you can be pretty certain that you have palaverty borers that are are are, um, are eating the roots of the tree. I wish it were something different than that. It could be a girdling root. Occasionally you'll find a girdling root that can strangle that side of the tree and or roots on that side. And, and that would also restrict the water nutrient uptake from the roots and then you'll see the a corresponding dieback above. But might be good to get an arborist in your area. Go to treesaregood.org and uh, give them a call and have them come out and take a quick look, and they can diagnose that pretty quickly if they're a good arborist. And when you're talking girdling roots, what ha- makes that happen? Is that not moving the water out uh, following the, the branches as they're 
Is it trees growing? Is it hard that's, soil? That's a contributing factor, but there's lots of reasons why girdling roots are... Usually it happens sometimes, well, a lot of times it happens at the uh, nursery level, and, and the tree can encircle the whole area that it's got. And if those aren't teased or cut before you put it in the ground, the, the roots don't know to start moving outward. And the way people water, they need to water so that the roots will be encouraged to move out. That's why planting is probably the most important time of a tree when you're putting it in the ground to really look at that root structure and Absolutely. see what it is. Yes. And sometimes you'll have to spread them out, and you might have to cut some roots. Yes. People don't understand that you can really prune roots, and sometimes that's what you really need to do when you're putting your tree in the yeah, ground. Yeah, when you take the plant out of the container, if you see there's a big mat of roots that have collected on the out, right at the edge of the, the container itself, Sometimes you can remove those or, as I said, tease them out or move them, manipulate them so that they'll start to grow outward. But the, a lot of the um, best practices is actually to cut that mat of roots entirely to lose that. So then the, then the roots will grow outward instead of just wrapping around in the direction they were in the container. And this is about the age where you start maybe seeing problems from that. You know, 7 to 15 years later, you know, the tree will adapt, adapt, adapt. Uh, what the color might want to do, or other people, is sometimes those are uh, a girdling root might be just under the soil, where you just just mm-hmm. just kind of go around that trunk at the base and carefully clear out around it and see if you see a root that's crossing over the main stem that's girdling, that's pressing in, destroying that cambial tissue right there, cutting it off. Uh, sometimes you can you know look at that yourself and and then call somebody if that's an issue. And if it's the beetle, is there any? defense is there is there any cure it's pretty difficult to do is it yeah there's a lot of soil volume to treat chemically and sometimes it's just impractical to think about trying to um you know treat 25 cubic yards of of soil at a depth of you know three feet with a large mature tree but you know that being said you know that we have done some kind of targeted treatments within about a three foot radius around the tree with the uh, hopes of providing a chemical barrier from the insects getting up to those main buttress roots. Because once those main buttress roots are girdled and the insects are in and around that main root ball, it's all over for the tree. And so, if you would lose that tree due to the the beetle bore, you pull it out, Can you wouldn't want to put another tree in that hole, would you? Probably not, because if they've colonized that area of soil, yeah. you know, you don't want to put a, a, a Cercidium or Parkinsonia back in there. Another another Palo Verde hybrid, maybe another tree would be would be would be better. Although um, those Palo Verde um, borers are are pretty indiscriminate. They will we've seen mm-hmm. them in mesquites, we've seen them in ironwoods, oh. we've seen them in pines, right. seen them so in olives. They they prefer. Palo Verdes, but if right. Palo Verdes aren't there and the insects right. are present, they need they need a food source. They will go to other trees as well. A lot of times, it's just about control. You know, we talked about we can treat them before. The key is the timing. It's hard to get the timing just perfect to get, you know, maybe the larva right when you can actually kill them. So oh. that's why, just like with the gobby wheels, you know, you a couple applications at just the right time, and hopefully you can control it a little bit. Maybe not going to ever, like John was saying, completely eradicate it. Um, and, and weather conditions play a big role in that. If a tree is stressed, boom, I mean, they're, they're really going to come in. I think that's a point there on the stress. Yeah. Um, proper tree health is really important because some palabreas or the Palo Verde species, they can live with a little bit of the root bore sure. activity. 
But once they become stressed with either environmental conditions or irrigation or girdled root or something, that actually puts them on the other edge. All right, before we talk about anything else, John, this has been staring at me all week since you sent it. I, I know. What about this 2,624-year-old tree? Well, I think it's worthy of noting that there that, that doesn't happen too often that, we, that discoveries are made of this kind of magnitude in the, in the, the world of trees. In 2019, uh, a tree was found along the Black River in North Carolina that was over 2,600 years old. And they knew they had some 1,500-year-old trees in there for, for, for many decades. They've known they had some very old trees in there. But it's, a, it's quite a long river and a, 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 a beautiful uh, preserve there. And this, um, some testing was done, some increment, bore, in, increment um, boring was done to determine uh, these dendrochronologists who can count tree rings. They determined That's- with this... Um, tool called an increment bore, they can pull out a very small core of wood um, in in a tree to determine its age. They found this tree was 2,600 years old. And that's what I wanted to know. How long was that core to count 2,600 <laughs> rings? And and do you ever think it got to like 1,800 or 1,900? It's like, oh, wait. <laughs> Was that 1,801 or 1,802? Oh, yeah. One, two, three, four, five. You mark them as you go. How long is that core? I mean, I'm picturing a tree that's got to be like 10 foot in diameter. Yeah, it it is. That's about the size these are. And they've got, yeah, long increment bores to be able to do that without hurting the tree. Look, may I pause to say. No, but it's it's an amazing find because it puts that tree as, as the fifth, Oldest tree on the on the on the planet right now, the baobab tree I think is the oldest, and we've got of course our our, our sequoias and our, our our redwoods, and then the bristlecone pine is the, the the oldest tree on the North American continent, and that's in in uh, in California. But this would be the second oldest tree on the on this on this uh, uh, on this continent, and it's certainly a, a a pretty cool find as far as a, a, a you know these majestic old trees that are still alive today. You know, what? that makes me think, what did it used to look like? Um, Notre Dame, that was horrible that, you know, that, that we lost the roof in that fire. But, you know, they can't rebuild it to its original form because the trees to build those timbers don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. There's not mm-hmm. enough to reconstruct that. Mm-hmm. What did that forest look like before they started thinning that for the, the cathedral? Yeah. Can you imagine that when you what did you say earlier, Richard? What was your term? Forest. Oh, bathing. forest bathing. bathing. <laughs> oh, bathing in that forest would be spectacular. Yeah. Now those old virgin forests uh, in, in Europe, like that, with all the old hardwoods, would just been spectacular to have seen. Yeah. They, the, uh, the oak forest was just covered the most of England. We lived in London, England, for four years, and. We had just up the hill from us this beautiful uh, arboretum and and just the most majestic trees. And then I was told that it's about 1% of the oaks that used to be there a couple centuries ago. But they were harvested a lot of times for the maritime industry, for the building of ships. Right. And they were um, they were harvested for those specific types. It's interesting. They, um, they were— 
harvested for certain t- branch angles of attachment on these huge oak trees um, would provide the structural support for these uh, ships. And they knew the precise angles architecturally for, to, to build the ship. So they would need these big pieces of wood. Then they would, be, of course, be carved to fit. But these big uh, slingshot um, uh, Y-shaped pieces of wood were in, in special demand. But they would go through hundreds of trees to try to find one that was just right for that certain size ship. So um, it's a sad thing that those oak forests went away um, as a result of that. What's really cool is that if you like history at all, that remember Christopher Columbus when he sailed and then he went back to the Queen and reported he found this most amazing place, the Americas. And another example of that is that we do have pretty much some of the oldest living organism trees on Earth. So in the entire world... Mm. And of all the places, that's pretty fantastic. That's pretty yeah. neat to think about. I need to find it again. I stumbled across it reading an article, but there's a university that says they're going to rewrite the history books based on the research they're finding from recovered wood ships mm. that have sunk, and you know, yeah, yeah, the you know tracing this species of wood back to where it would have come from, and you know, putting together the pieces. But what what the clues of these recovered wood ships that are hundreds of years old is going to rewrite uh, a lot of our history books. I, I need to find that again and follow that because I'd love to see, you know, if, if they are changing, you know, what, what was it before and, and what does this research say now? And it's a really interesting to look at the dendrochronology on some of these tree samples. You can really study climate. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at that now to just see how changes of climate mm-hmm. over now two, three thousand years with some of these older trees and really see how, you know, our environment has really changed. Because when you're counting those rings, the tighter they are together, that's a drier season. And exactly. the wider, you know, it was more growth, more water. So you can track your, your history. And there's even some fire scars that you can tell uh, over mm-hmm. the landscape where fires have gone through. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting history there. We did a lot of work on our trees this, uh, the beginning of the summer. One of the things that I really hit me was, you know, they don't grow as fast as you want them to. You want shade. You, know, you always say the best time was 25 years ago. And it doesn't seem like they, they move a lot, but you want to see just how much is going on in a tree. Cut off a branch and just watch how fast it dies. I mean, it, the, the amount of information and, and nutrients passing through the branch and the leaves and the water it's got to be so significant because as soon as you cut it off you could almost tell within a yes. half an hour yes the connection's yep. broken mm-hmm. yeah